Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. My name is John. I am the student pastor, and uh, I am blessed and privileged not only to be sharing God's Word with you this morning, but also... Also blessed that I get to work with families and students. I am truly honored and privileged at the position that I have, the opportunity to work with students and families in discipleship. Um, If I've had an opportunity to interact with your family, I pray that we have had a blessed time. And if not, I would love to meet you at some point. I do understand that we have some new families that are either tuning in online or are here in person. So I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I actually grew up in New Jersey, born and raised in Milford, New Jersey. And then uh, at a, I want to say a pretty early age, I felt like God was leading me towards ministry. I knew I was going to be involved in some kind of ministry, just wasn't sure what that may look like. And so in high school, I actually got more and more serious about that and ended up attending Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Uh, yeah, <laughs> wonderful uh, wonderful university, very blessed by my time there, got my undergraduate there, and fully expected to go wherever the Lord leaded, right? Wherever he needed me, wherever he wanted to lead. And so I said, I applied for jobs in Florida, Virginia, California, Tennessee, Texas, all over the United States, and God brought me back to Jersey. Uh, and I am blessed by that. I'm blessed to be a part of this community. And believe it or not, in like two or three days, I will actually have been on staff here for six years, which is unbelievable to me. It feels like just yesterday I walked to the door. So thank God for uh, everyone's patience with me. Um, today we have to navigate attention. Memorial Day always presents attention for us to navigate, right? So on the one hand, this is an exciting weekend, right? We have an extra day. We have Monday off. Most people have Monday off. And I don't know if you're one of those people, but June 1st, that starts summer for me, all right? Anyone who's like June 20th or whatever, that's not actually the start of summer. Summer starts June 1st. So we have excitement coming out of this weekend. And then at the same time, we also need to remember why we have that extra day. Why do we call this Memorial Day? And that's a tension to navigate, right? We recognize those who have gave their lives, sacrificed on our behalf, and yet at the same time we celebrate in the joy of what is coming with the summer and other things like that. I'm going to present another tension that we have to navigate today in our message. We're continuing in our message series through Imago. It's the idea of the image, right? The image of God. And we've been talking through this concept. And today we are going to wrestle with the idea of death. Death. We're going to be talking through this idea of death and what that means. Apparently the word death is a real problem for me, which is going to be a real issue throughout this message because I'm going to be saying that word quite a couple of times. Um, We're going to be wrestling through this idea that the message is about. And, uh, and I think there's no better way for us to enter into that than just by praying, going before the Lord, and giving it all to him. So please bow your heads in prayer with me. Father, we are grateful for you. We are blessed by this week and blessed by the time that we have to just glory, glorify and honor your name. God, I'm going to pray for myself. Uh, Lord, would you just please remove any thoughts that are not of you? Would you just make this all about you? 
God, would your word be spoken? Would your truth reign? Would the Holy Spirit move in this place to impact hearts, minds? Father, please, please be a presence here. Please let your name be glorified. Please remove any distractions and let this be all about you, Father. We love you and we give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we get into our passage, I think it's important for us to put some context on it. So I want to set the stage real quickly. And in order to do that, I want to go back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. We have the world. God creates everything in the world and it is good, right? It is good. God continuously recognizes that this is good, including mankind. And then we continue to fast forward and we get to about Genesis chapter three and the fall takes place. Adam and Eve are commanded not to do this thing. And what do they do? They do it. And sin enters into the world and the image of God, the way that God had originally created mankind is distorted. Now you're going to hear me say this word distorted multiple times, so I want to give you a mental image to picture for a second. This distortion is like if there was a glass mirror right here, right? And I took a hammer to the mirror and I broke the mirror into a ton of pieces and then I rebuilt the mirror. No matter how many pieces and how hard I try, no matter how much Gorilla Glue I use, that mirror is not reflecting a perfect image, It is broken. It is cracked. As I see my reflection, there will be slight changes. I might be missing a couple pieces. That is what I am referring to when I talk about this idea of distortion. Guys, in the very beginning, there was no death, pain, hardship, shame, or guilt until the brokenness of the fall, which leads us to our topic today, death. And as we wrestle through this idea of death, we're going to be talking about from the passage, John chapter 11. So if you would open up your Bibles, there's some in the chairs in front of you. And I'm going to beg of you before we get there, as you're turning there, please, as you hear this story, I don't care if you've heard it a million times before, do not glaze over. If we truly believe that God's word is living and active, then we believe that a passage that we hear multiple times for the same, same purpose, same reason, doesn't, doesn't change the impact it can have on our lives. So we're going to be talking about the story of Lazarus. And you may have heard this story before, but it doesn't change the impact. So please read along with me as we start in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go. uh, Let us also go that we may die with him. All right, we're going to hit a quick break here. I want to recap what we've just Witness. There's a lot that happens already in this passage. First off, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, and he receives this word, and what does he do? He waits two days, which is a little mind-boggling to me. Sometimes we read through Scripture, and we just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. We need to ask hard questions to understand what is going on here. This is a challenge for me. Listen, if my wife was driving and hit a pothole and popped a tire and called me and said, hey, John, I need you to come like help me out, I wouldn't go, babe, I love you. I'll be there in two days. Any of you who are married in the room know that would never work, right? Why would I wait two days? I would drop everything, and my actions would support the fact that I love her because I'm dropping everything to go. And yet Jesus looks in this passage. He goes, listen, I love Lazarus. I love Mary. I love Martha, and yet I'm going to wait two days. And the reason why I'm going to wait is because this is going to glorify God. We also wrestle through this piece, right? Um, Jesus literally says in the very beginning, this will not end in death. Now, if you're a disciple hearing that, that's great news. This will not end in death. And then later on, right, Jesus references it and he's like, hey, Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, oh, well, you said he wasn't going to die. So he's naturally sleeping, like no big deal. And then Jesus is like, no, you didn't understand. Like he died. If you're a disciple in this moment, you have to be going like, wait a second. Jesus, you just said he wouldn't die. Now he's sleeping. He is dead. Like what's going on here, right? And I think that leads also like bringing in the factors of like their questioning. Listen, Jesus goes, hey, we want to go back to Judea. And they're like, wait, Jesus, back to Judea. Like Judea, they tried to stone you there. They tried to take your life. And he's like, then he gives this whole kind of like line about walking by day and not by night, right? And you're like, okay, like. Yeah, obviously, I want to walk by day. But we have to look into that passage. First off, it's so important to understand the context of what we're reading, right? So first off, this is not whatever century. We're in 20th, 21st century, like America, where they had light bulbs. Their days operated around the sun. The sun was their main and pretty much only source of light on a regular basis. So Jesus is referring to the idea that work is done in the daytime. Okay, and this has a deeper meaning to this. It's not just like Jesus, like, hey, let's go during the day, not at night. He's actually talking about, hey, there are 12 hours during the day for us to get work done. And the analogy that he is drawing on here is, hey, I am here on this earth for a short amount of time. And while I am here, I'm going to continue to do the work of the Lord. Does that make sense to everybody? Like, it's not just like, oh, we need to walk at day. He's actually referring to his ministry here on earth. 
He's actually saying like, no, I've got this much time and I'm here and I'm going to continue to live it out. And Jesus knows I'm not going to die by stoning. I've been called on a greater mission. Right? So there's a lot of interesting pieces to this passage that helps us set the stage for what we're about to get into. So we continue to read verse 17, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the, in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives in believing in me will never die. Never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We're going to hit the pause button here, and I just want to review what we've already read. Notice anything interesting in here? There's two, two, two statements directed at Jesus, both by Mary and Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What, what an example of faith that they would say, listen, Lord, I know you can defeat this. I know you could have saved my brother. I've witnessed you do this. And so that I know that if you were here, you could have done a miracle. This is a statement of faith on both of their behalf and, um, behalf, and yet it is wrapped in a question of like, God, like kind of why weren't you here? Right? Drawing back on that analogy of my wife, like if anything happened to her while she had that pothole, she would obviously ask me like, why didn't you come? Why didn't you get here sooner? Why didn't you drop everything and come? I know that you could have helped me fix this tire or whatever else, right? The same thing applies here. And it draws to ask us a question. Have you ever been in that position? Have you ever been in the position where you have looked to God and you said, God, I know, I know you can do this. Why, why didn't you? God, my, my friend, my whatever is going through sickness. They passed away. God, you are the God of the universe. I know you can heal. I know you can do these things. But why didn't you? This causes us to wrestle 
I know in my own life, I have wrestled with this question greatly. A couple of years ago, um, my mom went to the hospital in December of 2017. And, you know, she just was feeling some pain and some different things. And we kind of, she went and Long story short, uh, in January, we found out that my mom had uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. And I remember to this day, like the moment my brother told me, um, I had something going on. I was running late. I, I didn't, I wasn't there for the doctor's kind of announcement, whatever you want to call it, and walked in. He met me at the hospital doors and just kind of said, hey, like, I need to tell you something. And I love my brother. He's, he's truly a man I really respect and I'm grateful for. And he just, in the most sensitive but loving and honest way he could, just said, hey, like, this is the facts of the reality. Like, stage four pancreatic cancer, like, it's almost inevitably going to end in death. Uh, we want to spend time. We want to find the solutions. We want to do everything we can do. But I also need you to know this reality. And in that moment, I'm sitting there and I'm, sta- or I'm standing there and I'm like, wow, like, oh, like, that stinks. But I also feel like you're kind of mixed with this level of like shock and awe. And you're just kind of like, okay, like, all right, like it is what it is. And it wasn't until the months after that multiple times where I would burst into tears and cry out to God and say, God, like, I know, I know what the doctors say, but I also know you're greater than this. I also know that you're more powerful than this. God, I know that this would be so glorifying for your name. Could you only imagine, God, if you healed a stage four pancreatic cancer, how I would proclaim your name? Sadly, like a couple months later, uh, my mom passed. and, And God didn't answer that for me. And you know what? I had to wrestle through this. Like, God, why why didn't you? Why didn't you do this? And the truth is, like, this might not be, uh, I don't know, whatever the right word is, but, like, I still don't have that answer. I don't. I don't know why. Why my mom? Why my family? Why my situation? I have no idea. No idea. But in the midst of that, I share this story not to gather sympathy or, or, or whatever towards me, but instead to just share with you an experience that I've had. And maybe you're walking through something like that. Maybe you've walked through something like that. Maybe you're still wrestling with God because you still have those questions. And if you are, I want to first just start off by saying, let the church come alongside and journey with you. I can say a bunch of stuff and I can share a bunch of scripture and they all are true, but let us journey with you. Do not just hear the words that come out of my mouth. Let my actions back that up by the church coming alongside. And let me follow up with this truth. God answering that prayer was not the reason why I started following God in the first place. Like, I remember back to when I accepted Christ in my heart. I accepted Christ into my heart and and followed him because of who Christ was, who God was, not because of what he did for me. I think back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They are standing in front of the king, and the king says, you better bow down, or I'm putting you in that fire. And what do they say? Listen, we serve a God who can save us, but even if he doesn't, I will still serve that God. I can't tell you and I don't understand why God does the things he does and maybe you are in a place of brokenness and hardship and if so, I am so sorry. 
But at the same time, we serve God not because he answers our, our, our he's not our, um, he doesn't just like, we don't serve him just because he gives us what we want. We serve him because of who he is. So that being said, it leads us into the next portion of our passage. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Guys, this is the pinnacle point of the passage that I want to I touch on. And this is the idea of the distortion of death. Listen, Jesus weeps. And we read this verse and we know it as like the shortest verse in the Bible. And everybody knows the trivia answers, right? Like, ah, oh, Jesus wept. Like, great. Let's talk about the significance of Jesus weeping. Why in the world did Jesus weep? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead shortly thereafter, right? Like, why would I be sad about something that's not going to be a problem? Instead, shouldn't, shouldn't, Lazarus have, or shouldn't Jesus have just been like, guys, listen, I got this. Don't worry, all right? I am Jesus, right? That's how I would have been. I wouldn't have wept. I knew how the story ended, and yet he weeps. So why does he weep? I think there's two major reasons why Jesus weeps. Number one, it says very clearly, right, uh, he saw um, the Jews who had come along, verse 33, the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping and he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Jesus, rather than saying, hey, everybody who's sad, get over it. He met them where they were at, right? Jesus saw the suffering and the pain that they were going through. And rather than saying, hey, I'm gonna fix this. He said, I am so sorry. And I'm going to journey with you. I'm going to feel the emotions that you feel. I'm going to walk alongside you. I am moved by your sadness. Jesus journeyed with them. And trust me, I w there's a whole message in here. And, uh, and if you don't know this already, we do devos every week. There's a devo coming out on Thursday that's going to touch on this. So if you want to hear more, check out the devo. Um, but that's the first point. Then there's this other point, And I truly, firmly believe this. Jesus wept because he recognized this is not how it was supposed to be. There was not death to be experienced. Jesus understood. He was there at the very beginning. It was good. There was no pain. There was no hardship. There was no distortion of the original image that God had set forth, right? He recognizes how far the fall has led, and he weeps in that. He weeps because he remembers and recognizes what it was like to walk with Adam and Eve where there was none of this. Death is a distortion. Have you ever been moved to the point because you see how wrong something is that it physically impacts your emotions? I have to share with you, just the other week, I was talking with someone, a dear friend of mine who comes here to Southridge, and he came up to me and he said, John, you seem like you got these weights on your shoulders. Like, what's going on? 
And I said, I don't know how anyone doesn't right now as we look around this world and we see the brokenness that we're experiencing. Listen, I, I work with students and families and truly I can, I'm just truly heartbroken over what students are walking through right now. Isolation, depression, anxiety, greater levels of suicide rates. Brokenness, seeking affirmation, affection, and, and, and fulfillment in the wrong things. And just, just so everyone's on the same page, this does not just apply to students. This applies to all. We need Christ in our world. There is so much for us to walk through. And as we process those things, and as we feel that way, it is hard for you not to be like, oh my gosh, God, like how are we going to do this? How are you going to work in this way? But praise the Lord, it is not upon John Ciotta's shoulders, but instead upon the Lord, our Savior, who magnifies and glorifies himself through all things. Praise God. So we can relate to Christ as he weeps with those. So this is the tension we have to manage. We've identified the first one, and very quickly I'm going to identify the other one. So the first tension we have to manage is what death is. Death is sadness. Death is brokenness. Death is hardship. Death is pain. And if you're walking through that, I want to encourage you. We as the church are here to walk alongside you. And then we address the second tension. And this is the hope. And we continue to read in this passage. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here's the tension for us to manage. Christ defeats death. Christ defeats death. Christ overpowers death. Christ raises Lazarus from the dead. And here's the beautiful thing about this picture. The beautiful thing about this story is that it doesn't just apply to Lazarus, but instead Christ knew, understood, that he had come down here on a mission. And that mission was the gospel. We go back to the very beginning. We recognize Adam and Eve, they sin, and, and everything is distorted and broken, and sin enters into the world. And it required a reconciliation of mankind to Christ, or to, to the Father, right? There needed to be this re, re, uh, reuniting. So Christ comes down to earth. He dies on the cross, Pays the ultimate sacrifice, atonement for our sins, is buried in the tomb. And then what does he do? He defeats death and is raised from the dead. Now you may say, John, that's great. Jesus did it. How does that apply to me? 
And this is, this is, I just need you to hang in there. This is so powerful, right? When we read through Paul's, Paul's epistles and we read through scripture as a whole, we hear this idea of union with Christ, right? Union with Christ. Quick example, my wife and I, when we were dating, we were individuals. When we got married, we were one. We are now one flesh, one body, united underneath Christ, right? We stood in front of other people. We took vows. And those vows were a commitment to one another. If my wife got a different job, that impacts me. It's not like, okay, see you later, right? She moved and got another job. I have to go with her, right? Same thing applies the other way. We are united. We make decisions together. This same concept applies to Christ and the church, to born-again believers, right? When you are a born-again believer, we are united with Christ. We are united with Christ, meaning we are one with Christ. And we are one with Christ, that means we also experience the same things that Christ went through. His death, burial, and resurrection, atonement for our sins. You don't want to know why we're seen as, Christ, as God's children? Because Christ is united with us. That's why, right there. Listen, the union of Christ, burial, uh, death, burial, and resurrection is the same thing that provides us the opportunity to be united with Christ and reconciled to the Father. You want to know why our faith totally depends on Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? Because of that fact right there. Without that, we are not reconciled to the Father. We do not have new life in God. Without that, <laughs> there's no reason to be here this morning. And I, I don't say that facetiously. I mean that. Everything is contingent on that, and Christ fulfills it. This is the tension we have to manage. The hardship of what death is, the reality of what death is, and the brokenness that we experience through losing loved ones, cared ones. And then in the same breath, the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior because he defeated death and through him, we have an opportunity to experience new life in Christ, in connection with our Father. This is the tension of the story that we have to manage. And so in one hand, we weep with those who weep. And in the other, we rejoice because we know that we are given a hope that cannot be taken from us. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I really don't. Maybe you've lost someone and you are weeping. And maybe on the other hand, you're hearing this story for the first time and you're going, wow, what hope that provides me. Maybe you've been saved for multiple years and you're rejuvenated through the gospel of what Christ has done for us. Regardless of where you're at, I think this message applies Every morning I, I wake up, I do my normal routine, usually whatever, go to the gym, do something, whatever, and then I, I usually do my morning devotions when I get home. And they look a lot different every day, honestly. Uh, I can't do the same thing all the time. Sometimes it means a podcast, a prayer, journaling, um, reading my Bible. And one of the things that I've really been enjoying recently is acoustic worship music. So just like starting my day off, reorienting my heart posture towards the Lord. And just the other day, I was listening to this song, and uh, now I've listened to it, not an exaggeration, maybe close to a thousand times. Um, 
Uh, but it's called Another in the Fire. And we actually sang it a couple weeks ago. And I want to just read some of the lyrics for you guys because I think it applies so well to what we're discussing today. There is another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is another in the fire. All my debt left for dead beneath the waters. I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore. And should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning? Either way, I won't bow to the things of this world and I know I will never be alone. There is another in the fire standing next to me. There is another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of what power set me free, there is a grave that holds nobody. And now that power lives in me. There is a grave that holds nobody. And now that power lives in me. I read you these lyrics because I don't know where you are in this tension. Truly don't. Um, We're going to take some time to reflect and to pray and to worship together. I'm going to invite the worship team up as I close out. But I want to navigate something for you really quickly. We mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego earlier, right? And that's really what a lot of this song draws from, right? Another in the fire, standing next to me. The portion that I would love for you guys to walk away with is whether you are here in the tension or you are here in the tension, God, Christ is with you. Whether you are weeping and mourning and loss and recognizing the distortion of what death is or whether you are celebrating in the hope and the truth of what life gives us through our union with Jesus Christ, Christ is with you. If you believe and follow him, he is another in the fire. You guys just stand and sing with it. There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be. Reckon me I know I would never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the sea Should I ever need reminding How I've been set free there's a cross that bears the burden. Where another died 
Could you've been too 
this place. God's presence is with us.
to manage today. A tension between those who are mourning to journey with them, to come alongside as the church, and also to rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to send you out with a blessing, but before I do so, I want to recognize we have an incredible, incredible prayer team that usually gathers right up here. I would strongly encourage you, take advantage of that regardless of where you are. And if you're online, click that button that says request prayer or ask for prayer or whatever. Listen, I don't know anyone that should be turning down free prayer, right? That being said, I would love to send you out with this. God, go before you to lead you. God, go behind you to protect you. God, go beneath you to support you. God, go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. May the blessing of God, the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you. Do not be afraid. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. There is another in the fire standing next to me. May you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday and rest in that truth today. God bless and be safe.